0: Again, I want to welcome you to our gathering today. Thank you all uh, for gathering with us. Uh, As we get settled in, let's go ahead. We're going to open our Bibles. uh, If you have them to Matthew chapter 13, where today uh, we're going to begin a series uh, that's going to take us through the rest of the summer. So for the next five weeks, uh, we're going to jump into this series that's entitled Storyteller. And as you turn there, um, really, I want to just kind of begin with just... Uh, a story just to kind of lead into this series. Um, <clears throat> sorry, uh, I'm not choked up emotionally. I just choked. Uh, uh, but man, uh, this past week, uh, man, I had this awesome opportunity, uh, to get away, just Haley and I, uh, with a group of pastors and their wives, uh, for a beautiful retreat in the mountains of Colorado. So, uh, amen for great weather. Uh, it was very, very nice. Um, I know y'all are like, hey, we don't like you talking about that, Kyle. Uh, but man, it was great. And I want to thank y'all for affording us that opportunity. Uh, we had a wonderful time. It was probably the best retreat that Haley and I have ever been on. Uh, it was just filled with, uh, man, uh, you know, uh, a lot of Laughter, a lot of, man, development of new relationships, just engaging with old friends. And so, uh, yeah, we were grateful for that time. But, uh, as we were there, uh, I celebrated my 35th birthday, uh, that included, man, a morning of worship. And, um, again, more laughter, good food. We went on a seven mile trek up a mountain, uh, to this beautiful lake. Uh, that was very difficult to get there. I was, I, it humbled me a lot because I was looking at the mountain. I was like, I can get up there in 30 minutes. Uh, it's nothing. Three hours total. Uh, it was a lot, but, um, man, it was great. It was a really good time. Uh, and uh, as I thought about the last 35 years of my life, and as I think about, man, this series, uh, man, something that I'm recognizing is that as as I get older, man, my passions in many areas of life are changing. And man, I'm being sucked into things that I once thought were only for old people. But now I'm becoming old people. Like that's how I feel, right? Like I, I'm looking at the things like when I was a kid that my grandfather used to watch and engage in and do. And I'm like, that is me right now. I thought it would come much later, but it is already here. And so I think that I'm okay with it. I'm pretty okay with it, all right? Like I'm kind of owning it and just kind of jumping into it. But man, uh, let me just share a few of those things that are uh, beginning to change and I'm realizing like, oh man, like this is different. Uh, So we got chickens recently uh, and we found our first three eggs yesterday. And Haley and I, it was like we got three new children. Right, Like we were so pumped. Like we grabbed those eggs. We're like looking at them, like taking pictures of them, you know, like, you know, congratulating the chickens on a job well done. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, yep, never thought I'd be doing this. Right. And so so that that was just one of those moments. The other one uh, happened this week while we were in Colorado. I found myself stopping to smell the roses all the time, like literally stopping. And any time I would see like, man, just uh, the flowers were beautiful. The plant, like I saw, I said, Haley, look at that. Look look how beautiful that is. What kind of plant is that, you know? And, oh man, I would love to have that at the house. And I stopped and I was like, when did I start liking flowers? Like, I hate blue bonnets. Like, if they're in my yard, they're getting mowed over. I'm not going around them, you know? And when I'm sitting there looking, I'm like, who am I right now? But I think the most recent one, even in the last couple of days, something that Haley and I both realized is that we have fallen in love with the Olympics. Like, I don't know if you know, but right now the Olympic trials are going on. Everyone's getting ready. And, man, we were into it. Like, we are like find ourselves constantly watching videos. The other night, Haley came in the room and she was like, I have to stop watching the Olympics. It's 1230 at night. Like, she was just like, we are into it. It doesn't matter what it is. It's like synchronized swimming. Yep, I'll watch that. I'm gonna cheer for them, you know. I don't know how it works, but hey, let's let's go for it, you know. But there are so many moments when I'm just looking at, it, I'm like, man, I'm doing a lot of things that my grandfather did. I am really pressing into, and some of you are like, hey, it's only 35, Kyle, but man, 35 like when I was younger, I didn't think I was gonna make it past 23, so 35 is great. This is a long time, but even in the midst of realizing these changes man i think you as i've reflected over the last week as i've reflected on this series there's one thing that i believe hasn't changed from my childhood up until now and that is my desire and love for tell, telling and hearing a good story and my earliest memories all of our memories right our stories like stories shape us they mold us like and i remember man just my earliest memories as a kid is that my family is filled with storytellers I remember growing up, we would go to family events and it would just be times everyone would just sit around and they would be telling stories. I mean, we had some really good storytellers. My uncle Brian was a great storyteller. He told the same stories all the time. Like, and you knew he was going to tell the same story, but he loved telling stories and he could articulate them so well. My great uncle, if you're around him for five minutes, he will make this saying, hey, let me tell you one real quick. And he's going to tell you a story. And then he's going to tell you another story and tell you another because he lives to tell stories. And so we have some great storytellers, and then we have some people that think they're great storytellers but just really talk a lot. But you see, regardless, growing up around my family, while we may have been short on a lot of things, one thing that we were overflowing with were stories. I mean, you can just ask Haley, I tell and retell the same stories all the time. I love it. I love hearing a story and sharing a story. But we all do, right? Like we all love a good story. That's why we read books. That's why, man, movies, which really are just visual stories, we engage in them. Like we will wait in line. We used to wait in line to go and watch a movie because we want to engage in the story. I think even today, like uh, in terms of being a social media culture, social media has picked up on this, right? Like if you go to Facebook or Instagram, what's thing? Like the cool thing is not to post anymore. It's to what? To share a story. And they, I, I believe that they put that descriptor in there because they're like, man, that's going to catch people. I can share a short story about my life. I don't even have to use words. I don't, you know, I, there's nothing. They, even, they might not even have to read anything, but I can post this small clip of a story. I think that, you know, if you look or when people drive now, like it's not so much listening to the radio, what do you listen to? You listen to podcasts. And what podcasts are, are, man, a lot of times largely it's just an hour long story where people are engaged and they're talking about something of interest. We love story. Stories connect us and shape us in far more ways than we probably recognize. You see, we love stories because they might, while they might present us with facts, they press deeper into the souls of who we are as men and women made in the image of God. Not only do stories connect us and shape us, but man, they are most—they are one of the most formative ways that we learn. We learn through story. Through the hearing of stories, we learn of victories and defeats. Stories teach us lessons. They give us wisdom. We take in the history of things around us, the things that shape us, the things that mold us for better or worse. Stories tell us and teach us about who we are and what we look to or long to become. Do they not? I mean, that's why as a kid, when you hear stories of superheroes or whatever your favorite movie was as a kid, you wanted to be that person because you wanted to enter into their story. Another thing stories lay before us are our emotions. I mean, just think for a moment in your own life, how hearing or telling a story can in one moment produce laughter and joy and in the next fill you with sorrow. A lot of people think that I'm a bit crazy uh, because for me personally, while I don't like doing them, I I, I almost would rather uh, journey with people through uh, the grief of a funeral than do a wedding Just because weddings, like, I don't know, it's just something about like, because what I love to do whenever I get to stand and and walk with people through grief is I get to, man, I get to knit together and share a story. I mean, in those moments when I get to do that, I get to experience people be reminded of laughter and joy in the midst of sorrow and loss. That's what stories do. They bring out the emotions that we need. They bring out the emotions we didn't know we had or those emotions that we're seeking to cover up. But for the follower of Jesus, stories mean more than just telling of facts and the stirring of emotions. The good news of the Gospel is the greatest and most true story ever told. It is the story of redemption that tells of God rescuing a people by the giving of Himself that is connected from the creation in Genesis to the restoration of all things being made new in Revelation. Sixty-six books, one story. God's Word is the story that has been written and is being told in every moment that is, has been, and will be. And yet I think while we're met with and surrounded by this story, the story of redemption, even if we recognize it or not, one thing we cannot argue is that in life, man, in life there are many stories that we experience, that we hear, that, man, at times just don't seem to make sense. You ever hear a story or experience something that's a part of your story and you're like, yeah, I still can't make heads or tails of why that happened. I think one of the reasons those things happen is because we live in the midst of a story that in reality is still a bit broken. We live in what we call the now, but not yet. We live in the nowness of the kingdom, but the not yet of everything being restored. We're still left at times to wonder why. But on the other side of that, we tend to, because of our nature, we tend to live out broken stories. I think one of the reasons we tend to live out broken stories is because we are the best at telling ourselves bad stories, right? No one lies to you more than you do because no one what? No one talks to you more than you do. We are constantly storing ourselves. The question is, are we what story are we telling? Are we telling the the story of the good news and how it gives us identity and life and transformation? Are we telling some other story? Are we chasing after the longing of other stories? And do you find yourself running after other people's stories? Oh man, that looks really cool. I wish I could do that. Man, my life would be way better if I did this, this, and this. Because look at them. Like their life is so much better because they're doing all those things. Yeah, maybe it's fun. Maybe it'll work out. But man, it's, we can't live through other stories. I think along these lines, there are many stories that were told that while seemingly simple, they're utterly profound. You know, I think the the most simple one that you hear, it's very uh, philosophy-based, is like, okay, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there, does it make a sound? Now the simple answer is, well, of course, yes. But then they begin to ask, but does it? No one's there. You don't know. It does. Okay? (laughs) Like... (laughs) Uh, but, but that's, it's one of those, it seems so simple, and yet whenever you can begin to confuse yourself and become confounded, and, and well, well, does it or does it not? And you can begin to argue and debate. You see, in the midst of the simple, what happens a lot of times is we're made to wrestle with the depths of our thoughts, emotions, and how we view and live in the world. And this, as we're going to see, is often the mark and the posture of the parables of Jesus. The greatest storyteller. They're seemingly simple stories that bring with them profound weightiness. They make us think. You ever read the parables and like you're reading through them and some of them you're like, yeah, I can kind of get that. And then some of you read them and you're like, I don't know. What does that mean? Like, what is it talking about? What's the meaning of all this? The parables draw out our emotions and cause us to wrestle with the realities of our hearts and where we place our faith, hope, and trust. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to dive into a handful of the many parables that are found in the Gospels as a way to help us slow down, engage our own stories, the stories we believe about the world around us, the story of the Gospel, and about the call on the life of the follower of Jesus. Man, our prayer is that we would learn from these parables and begin to view life from uh, more clearly from the things Jesus has to say to us and that ultimately we would begin to live life in light of the true and better story that is only found in Christ and His kingdom. And so what that's going to require is as we walk through this, we're going to have to begin to evaluate our stories. We're going to have to begin to evaluate the kingdom that we're a part of. And maybe it means turning from false narratives. Maybe it means turning from the kingdom of the world and turning to the kingdom of Christ. And so what in the world is a parable? Well, here's a few things. First, in its most simple form, this was a definition I got online. A parable is a story, really that's more than a story, used by Jesus to teach a spiritual lesson. Now, as we hear that, that seems very simple and straightforward, but I believe that that's a shallow definition. You see, Jesus is not simply about us learning spiritual lessons. That could lead us to morality. Now, Jesus is after the transformation of our hearts and the sources of our worship. And so when he talks in parables, that's what he's after. He's going at the heart. The word parable literally means to throw or cast alongside. It's this idea of taking two things, placing them side by side and said, let's compare them. Over and over again, what it is, is it's Jesus comparing the kingdom of the world and his kingdom. And he's laying them before us over and over again in a variety of ways. And he's saying, look, let's look at the difference. One brings death, one brings life. Also, parables are not allegories, meaning uh, an allegory is like the Chronicles of Narnia. That is allegory. Uh, and in allegory, everything has significance and symbolism. But Jesus in his parables, uh, that's not what he does. Only certain things in the parables are significant. Along with this, the parables of Jesus are not stories of fantasy. And when you look at the parables, they are connected to the everyday stuff of life that took place in the lives of of those whom Jesus was engaging with. And so to give us a working definition, a parable is a story that is told, that is taken from everyday life, with the goal of drawing us into its simple and yet profound, and even sometimes strangeness, so that we might wrestle with with its exact application for life in the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but the thought of that is exciting to me because, man, in the world I live in, not many stories today seem to engage me in a way of causing me to really wrestle with anything meaningful at all. It's just all surface level and quick. And then let's move on. And so with all that laid before us, let's look now at our first couplet of parables. So this is two parables we're going to look at today in three verses that are really sharing similar, not I believe not fully the same, but they're, they're, they're in a similar vein. So let's look at Matthew 13:31 31-33. This is Jesus speaking. He put another parable before them, saying, "...the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds... But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the, like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Okay. So quickly, what we find in Matthew 13 is the start of Jesus' third teaching discourse in this gospel. And what's happened, if you look at the book of Matthew, it's this, it's this progression of Jesus building out this focus away from the kingdoms of the world and towards His kingdom that He's establishing on earth. An eternal kingdom that would never pass away. You see, Jesus has come, not in the manner that anyone expected, And I think that's very pertinent and key for today. And what Jesus does is He comes on the scene proclaiming that His kingdom is here and now. And what we know from the story of redemption is He, if you look at Matthew 3, He has won redemption over temptation, becoming the true and better Adam. And He steps on the scene to show Himself to be the true and better Israel that would display the work of salvation through the giving of Himself. You see, God's people Israel, whenever He calls them, He calls them so that they might proclaim His glory to the nations. But they fail at it. But Jesus has come to show, to proclaim God's glory to the nations, to proclaim good news to the world by the giving of Himself. He would do what we could not. He's the King that comes and gives us through His life, death, and resurrection empowered access to the blessed flourishing that He proclaims in Matthew 5-7 through when He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. He creates the empowered access so that we might be blessed. So we might flourish. Not only that, but following the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to lay out the cost of Of the kingdom. He also begins to reveal that man, this kingdom is a healing kingdom. That comes by his rule and reign over all creation. Sickness, death. And then he says that the harvest is plentiful. And this kingdom is going to require the sending of everyday laborers into the harvest. Leads us to Matthew 13, where Jesus continues to expound upon the reality of the kingdom, which is the theme, by the way. He's pointing to the kingdom, and doing this, what Jesus is trying to set before those listening and us it is what the kingdom is like. You see, ever since the man uh, God uh, formed a people and called a people, man, there has been a talk about a kingdom. And where God's people find themselves is under the rule and reign of the Roman government. And man, they don't like it, and so they're constantly trying to figure out, okay, when's this king coming? What's this king going to be like? How is this king going to rule? You see, they were looking for a king that would come and rule by bloodshed, by the sword, but Jesus doesn't come that way. You see, what while Jesus' kingdom is one of redemption, rule, and rescue, it's not what was expected. They were looking for a warrior king that would overthrow. They wanted an earthly monarchy to be established that would release them from the bonds of their current enslavement. But Jesus' kingdom, which is a parable in and of itself, causes those listening and us to wrestle for while we look for outward freedom, Jesus is going after that which is inward. He is looking to redeem the brokenness of our lives from the inside out. Because Jesus knows that outward transformation will do no good if the inside is not first made new. And so what He does in these two short parables is He takes two things that were common to those he was speaking to, and he looks to reshape their view of the kingdom in ways that should call all of us to rethink what we believe about who God is, what He has done, and what redemption truly means, not only for our lives, but the way that we live. You see, I think a lot of times we believe that we live lives of the kingdom, but we're not, li- living, uh, we're not living in the kingdom. We are running to other kingdoms. And so he begins with a story about the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Now, as I've already said, Jesus is taking something that would be common to the lives of those listening as a way to engage them in the story. You see, in this agrarian culture, the analogy of a mustard seed would make an immediate connection. Now, mustard seed, interestingly enough, is not the, actually not the smallest seed ever, but it is the smallest seed that was commonly used in gardens. And the story about this seed is not simply about the size of the seed, but, the, but to connect it to the lives of those whom Jesus is speaking. And so, what he says is that the kingdom of God is like this small seed. Which, when planted, grows into the largest plant in the garden and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, I want to present just a few things here. Uh, How many of you, if you have a garden, how many of you have a mustard plant in your garden? Y'all do? I knew there was going to be one, right? We don't commonly have that, right? Like, that's not so. Like, if we want mustard, like, where do we go? And I'm not talking about the bottle of mustard. Uh, I'm talking like you can go get mustard powder from the store. Like it's not something you commonly would keep around. But how many of you, whether it's the mustard plant or it's something else that you planted, you have planted a seed or a sapling and you've shared the experience of seeing it grow over time and even take over an area? Like you planted something, you watched it grow and flourish and even take over. And I think when you watch that, like, one, you realize, and we've talked about this even recently, man, uh, you realize it's going to take a lot more time than you think. And at times you can be like, hey, come on, grow already. Like, uh, you watch the same tomato, like, stay green forever. You're like, come on, just turn red, okay? Like, let's go. So it takes this patience and time. But also what you realize in the midst of watching something grow and flourish and even take over is it can be a gift and a curse. Let me, let me just explain what I mean with two ways. First, uh, with a gift, or as a gift, seeing something that flourished. So um, there was a time, uh, man, years ago, that uh, me and Troy decided to go play golf. And we were going to go play in Hempstead. But he said, hey, how about we go to Waller and play on the course my family used to own? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we drive over there to this nine-hole course that I believe is still open in Waller. And, man, as we're pulling in, there's these massive pine trees everywhere. And I'm just kind of looking at it and we're driving in. He's not saying much. And we get in the car and we're on about hole three. We start driving through those pine trees again. And I was like, man, these things, I mean, they're 40, 50, I don't know, maybe even taller. Like they are massive trees and they're everywhere. I was like, man, these are huge trees. And he was like, yeah, I planted all those. And I was like, what? He was like, yeah, when we first bought this place. Uh, we you know, my dad in this you know one spring he bought i don 't know hundreds or thought like i don 't know how many little one foot pine trees he said we spent man all this time just digging and planting, digging and planting digging and planting and man, and then just watering them and then now you know forty years later i 'm standing there being able to look and mean the fruit of that man it was such a gift to me to watch like this is amazing uh, you know i you know this is East Texas stuff right here, like I've never experienced this, you know, uh, you know, but we, we're, I'm sitting there in the midst of, man, just this flourishing growth. It was a gift to me, but also, man, you can have things, you can experience things and plant something, it just takes over. For me, it's mint. Haley just looked and rolled her eyes. So in our last house, uh, we had some flower beds. And again, I don't know what any plant names are or anything. Haley, I know what roses are. That's about it. She just tells me what to plant, and I plant it. And she was like, hey, I have this mint plant. I'm going to plant it in the flower bed. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. And then some weeks, months later, I go out to weed the the beds, and I look, and I'm like, there's mint here, and there's mint here. There's mint over there. There's mint over there. There is mint everywhere. Like it is, it has taken over. And so I'm like, okay. And I I'm like Haley, there's mint everywhere. She's like, yeah, it kind of took over. And so we start pulling it up. And I, man, I am pulling mint out, you know, all over the place. And I think I get it all. And then like the next week, guess what? It is everywhere. You can't like we. I don't know. It's probably still there at that house, right? And man, I would just come in. I'd be like, never again. Never again are we planting mint outside. We have a pot at our new house, and that is the only place where mint can grow because it will just take over. And for me, like while it smells good and it tastes good, for me, I was like, oh man, it's just a curse because it it never goes away. It's always there. No matter how hard I fought to get rid of it, it continued to grow. And I think as we hear these two things, I think that says a lot about life. Man, what you plant, the soil you plant it in, will either be a gift or a curse. We're we're not talking about plants anymore, by the way. We're, We're talking about our lives. I believe this story says even more about God's kingdom, though. You see, what this parable is trying to get us to wrestle with is the truth that God's kingdom brings with it extensive growth, even though it might not come in the way we think. You see, the kingdom of God is the small seed that would be planted, yet would grow into the tallest and greatest tree by which the birds of the air might come and nest in its branches. Which is another interesting point, because you all have a mustard plant. They don't grow into trees. They're just big plants. They're not They're not a tree. So why would Jesus describe it this way? Well, what He's doing is He's pointing back to Ezekiel 17. Where God, through the prophet Ezekiel, references this kingdom that would come, and it would be planted on the mountaintop of Israel. This planted kingdom would bear branches, God says, and it would produce fruit that would give shade, shelter, and sustenance to all who draw near to it for life. That's what Jesus means when he's talking about this mustard seed. He's saying, look, the kingdom, he says, me, like I'm coming. And I know it looks small and insignificant and I'm not going to ride in on a war horse but a donkey and I wasn't born in a palace but a stable and yet my kingdom is coming and it's going to produce branches and it's going to be shade and it's going to be sustenance in life for all who draw near to it. What a picture of the kingdom. This is a far greater story of a seed. The story of redemption that again is told from Genesis to Revelation. Revelation. This extensive growth that comes through Jesus making war against sin and Satan. Being planted upon a mountain in the form of hanging upon a tree, the cross. Dying just as a seed does when it enters the ground and springing forth in life that bears branches and fruit. You see, while the cross seems foolish, it is the proclamation and exclamation that God's kingdom would defeat our greater enemy. Thus giving us a life that no earthly freedom could ever give to us. And yet, in life, this is commonly not what we think about when we think of freedom. And it's not what we look to when we need to be freed. And so today, for you, what are you looking to for freedom? What fruit are you grasping for that has been planted around you that will never bring you the freedom that only the Gospel can bring? I believe your response to the brokenness and struggles of life around you not only reveals where you put your hope, but what kingdom you're looking to see expanded. And guess what, man? The world's kingdoms, they spring up quick, fast, and in a hurry. But they also die just as fast. And guess what? There's always another one. There's always something else to look to. Today, when you look at the kingdom you proclaim and seek to have expanded, is it the kingdom of God or is it the kingdom of self? And I, I just reflect on the last year. What things in life have caused you to lose sleep, walk in fear, and or lash out in unhealthy ways? I know we can point the finger a lot to media and the culture around us, but man, we should be pointing the finger at ourselves. think over the last year year and a half man I have been severely disappointed in myself and the church in general at the way we've responded to things because I think in some ways we've forgotten that we live in a kingdom that never passes away we begin to look to other kingdoms for hope and security and safety and rescue and they're not delivering on what they promise Did you know that uh, lumber prices don't scare Jesus one bit? They don't. Did you know that Democrats and Republicans don't scare Jesus in the slightest? You want to know why? Because He says His kingdom is not of this world and yet He rules and reigns over it all. They bow to Him. It says one day that the rulers and powers of this world will cry out to have the mountains fall on them. That's the king we serve. So if you're looking to those other things, they will only fail you. They will crush you. And they will be crushed. And if you find yourself today living in fear and losing sleep over who resides... In a White House, you might need to wrestle more with where your faith and trust is, and where your vote goes. Should we vote? Yes, but don't put your hope in it; it will fail you every time. I could use countless examples. So many of us are running to our jobs, in the hopes that it will bring the the house and the 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 acre lots and whatever it is we're running towards that kingdom success and performance are eating up our souls our image and how we've perceived online or you know how we're perceived by our neighbors or whatever it is if you're losing sleep over it it has your heart, it will fail you. It will spring up fast, but it will die just as fast. And yet the mustard seed continues to grow. He rules regardless. Every other kingdom that has ever sought to establish itself has and always will eventually fail by flailing force. But it's not so with the kingdom of God. And so while it might look like things are bad and that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, may we take heart and look to the seed that has blossomed into a kingdom that is ever expanding and will forever forever continue to do so. Well, I want to make one more note on this parable. And I think that note is this, is that along with this, that you would not despise the small stuff. It is growing into something. I think the problem is we just have bad metrics for success. But Jesus would say you can gain the world and what? Lose your soul. In your own life, do not measure what is going on by your standards or the standards of others. Use the standard of Scripture. Trust that He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. That's His promise. Trust the process. Do not despise the sapling because it's a sapling. Which leads us to the second parable where Jesus says that the kingdom, again, what are your eyes on today? Is like leaven. He says it's like leaven that was hid. And man, I, like I want us to focus in on what he means by hid. To be hidden is to be strategically hidden because of the value it holds. Today, do you believe that what that, that what the good the good work that has been hidden inside you was done so strategically because of the value that God has for you? Scripture says that we have been hidden in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. Not only that, but do you believe that you were strategically placed where you are? In this town in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and at this church by God to be a leavening agent to the world around you. He says this leaven was hidden in three measures of flour, which to us is like, what what does that even mean? Is it just a tiny bit of flour? No. Three measures of flour is 50 pounds of flour. He's showing just how expansive and how extensive and how this this leaven of the kingdom is going to infiltrate even the largest of things. Guess what? It's going to cover the whole earth. His glory will cover the earth as what? As the waters cover the sea. It's like water on water. But what we need to see is that when leaven is placed with flour to make dough, the leaven does not expand beyond the borders of the dough. Rather, it infuses and infiltrates the dough so that it all might rise. Again, what a beautiful picture of the Gospel. Jesus, the only one without the leaven of sin, did not seek to separate himself from humanity, but came and put on flesh, infusing and infiltrating the kingdom of God into all that he did and proclaimed, so that we might not look to the leaven of the law or selfish living, but we might rise with him through death and in turn be sent out to do the same. That's why scripture says we are the salt of the earth. We are the light. Man, we are the city on a hill. We are to be light, salt and light. We are to be a leavening agent where we go. Are you? These are the lives that we're called to live. That seek not the flashy and the quick, but the slow, long work of proclaiming the only good news that matters. The only news that is of any value infusing the gospel of the kingdom into every part of our lives. So that others might experience and by God's grace come to know real living. Man, we, as little Christ, are to be a place, we should be a place Where people can come and experience the shade and rest and mercy and grace of God. Are people coming to you for that? Or are they running from you? Like, yeah, there's no shade there. Jen Wilkin says that while the mustard seed parable shows us the extensive growth of the kingdom, the parable of the leaven is showing us the intensive growth of the kingdom. It's both, to use kids' songs deep and wide, right? It's extensive, but it's also intensive. Both of which are never-ending and never-failing. I do the team come back up. And I just want to I just leave with this. Today, where do you need to change your focus? Is it in the extensive view? Maybe you've given up. Maybe you're trying to run on the strength of your own kingdom. Maybe it's intensive. Maybe man, you find your faith shallow. Maybe you find that the good news is not infiltrating and infusing in your own life or in the lives of those around you because you're just kind of there. Maybe you're infusing the kingdom of self over the kingdom of Jesus, but in the end, only one kingdom will last. And only one kingdom will give us the shade we need to produce the fruit that we desire and long for. May we be about that kingdom my heart for us is that we wouldn't see what Jesus is doing inside us that we would see what Jesus is doing in the life of this church and that we would not despise it but we would allow it to grow and flourish not for the sake of saying hey look how big the tree is look how awesome the garden looks look how you, you know what I mean but but look how great I am but by saying no man I want God what you're doing in me I want you to do through me so that others might be blessed May give me wide branches, so that others can come and find rest in you. Man, Jesus, make me such a leavening agent that man, when I wherever I go, man, there's just com- gospel conversations that just pop up. People begin to ask questions because, man, uh, just you have given us influence. You have, you have called us to infiltrate where we're at with the good news. May that be what we're known for. May that be the fruit that we bear. But the only way that happens is if we lay down our little kingdoms. We turn from those things and say, no, you're it. So we're going to share in communion and we're going to spend some time in reflection and response. and I'm going to allow you that time. And then we're going to sing in worship. And then we're going to go out and celebrate baptisms. And so what I want you to do, man, if you're a follower of Jesus... And if you have given your life to Jesus, you're like, no, hey, you are a part of that kingdom. And I want to invite you to come and share in communion. Share in the truest reality of, uh, of uh, man Christ coming and, 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 and what looked like foolishness brought victory. That's what we share as we share in communion and him giving of himself. And so we invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to come and do that. And today, if you want to talk about what it means to be a part of God's kingdom, I'll be up here at the front. You can come, come talk to me. and uh, I would love to pray with you. Um, but let me pray for us. Jesus, we are grateful for the kingdom. That Your kingdom is far above all others. That You really do rule and reign in power and authority. May we give You the honor and authority and worship and glory that only You're due. Lord, grow inside of us. Grow our hearts so that we might become more attuned to Your kingdom. That we might live out the fruit of that. That we might bear that image. Make us leaven, make us salt, make us light to the world around us. Let us not solely be consumed with self, but let us be consumed with you. In the light light of that, go. Let us go serve others for your kingdom and your glory and your honor. Amen.